0: You're,
1: You're listening, listening to, to the Umbrella Cast. The the Cast. Cast. Cast.
0: Welcome to the Umbrella Cast. I'm Xander Wilson. My guest today is the host of KISS 101.1 Melbourne Mornings, but that's just the tip of what Ryan John has been capable of down the years as a digital content creator, radio host, podcaster, producer, social media marketer, influencer, and more. Ryan got his start at SCA in regional radio and went down a path well-travelled, eventually landing at Hit in Perth. But then he had to make a decision between his personal life and his career – since then, he's worked with a stack of big-name brands on content marketing, and now he's landed another full-time radio geek with ARN's Kiss in Melbourne. He joins me now. So, Ryan, John, thanks for coming on the umbrella Cast. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, you're something of a content chameleon. I think you called yourself a jack-of-all-trades when we were chatting just before we got started. Uh, I also said LinkedIn- master of none,
1: which you um,
0: <laughs> left off, but yes. <laughs> well, your LinkedIn page describes you as a broadcast and digital content creator. You obviously do radio, podcasts, social media, TV. Do you think that you need to be pretty versatile to, to sort of break through in the media and the, the, the competitive nature of, of radio and TV and, and being a, a person that's talent these days?
1: Um, I don't know if you need to, but it's definitely really helpful. Um, I mean, as you know, and probably people listening to the Mumbrella cast, like no job is forever in our industry. So even if it's just for a bit of reassurance that, well, if this one ends, I've got the skills to get another job. If that's the only reason, then that's probably still a good one. But I think gone are the days where you, you just have this one, especially in media, maybe less marketing, but one specific skill. And I only do this one medium, I think you know, for radio shows to get found, social media is great uh, and vice versa. And TV people without a social media presence, I don't know if anyone under 40 would know who they are necessarily. So I think, you know, just sort of not putting all your eggs in one basket is probably a safe bet.
0: Yeah, and I'll sort of. I think we'll go over some of those other aspects as we go throughout this chat. But um, I guess you know the most recent gig for you and what you're doing right now is is mornings on on Kiss in Melbourne. How's that yep. for you? And how's it been? I guess transitioning back into a regular radio gig after a little bit of time away from that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's different. So I used to do breakfast, so a big team, and now I'm on my own. And I'd never. Like ever done that before and I was really nervous about it before I started I actually got asked about it I think twice and I said oh I know that's not for me and not but it's not for me I said I don't think I I am, can do it I don't know how to do it and then we kind of reached a bit of a like I'm someone who likes to learn um so I just said hey look I'm really willing to learn if you're willing to teach me so we that was kind of the agreement of we know you're not going to be perfect by yourself right away and you've got a lot to learn but um, yeah, so the first few months were a steep learning curve, but it's been really enjoyable. And the team at KISS are super lovely. Um, I know a lot of spots in the media, people, you know, there's lots of interesting personalities and weird workplaces, but KISS is like it seems really cliche to say, like a pleasure to go in each morning, but it really is. And everyone's super nice and we get on with it and have a great time. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Maybe I'm still in the honeymoon period. I've only been there six months. So <laughs> who knows, but so far, so good.
0: Yeah. So I guess the, the learning curve you speak there, was that, you know, were you, was that on a technical side of things, or on a production side of things?
1: Um, I think just probably content creation, really, because you can have a, a seed of an idea or maybe just a good question and you kind of throw the question to a, a bunch of co hosts and, you know, that sparks a conversation. So a one minute idea with a group could end up being five minutes. But when you're by yourself, a one minute idea does not go any longer than one minute. <laughs> so just that, sort of talking to yourself or talking to the audience who can't respond versus having a lot of other people in the room I, like I said I've never done that before and I know breakfast is easy in that sense that you've got people to bounce off if you get stuck or tongue-tied someone picks you up and helps you out or if you oh what was that thing again oh you mean this thing yeah great of course you've got all these people helping you out and you kind of help each other out but when you're on your own it can be a little bit more daunting I guess and sort of getting your head around that's a bit tricky.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you sort of got back into old habits and hosted breakfast over summer with Lauren Phillips. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess part one of my next question is, what was that like sort of being back into the grind? Um, and also, um, obviously, uh, your station stationed there losing PJ Harding after a few years as well. Um, how do you think Lauren will do as well? Yeah. So first of all, summer breakfast,
1: I was really excited, but also super nervous. I think I hadn't done radio for 12, 14, maybe even 18 months at that stage. And I was just nervous because I hadn't done it in a while. And I believe radio, like anything, like going to the gym, if you haven't worked out in 12 months, that first session is probably going to (laughs) hurt. So I was a bit nervous and I actually didn't think I'd ever do radio again. When I left, I thought, oh, you know, other stuff and but like I said everyone was really lovely it was really enjoyable and I really loved working with Lauren she was great and it's funny that she's about to start Kiss Breakfast now because I said we were having beers at one stage during summer breakfast and I I said to her like you are naturally like so great at this would you ever do it full-time and because she has such a a great life she's living with the Hemsworth living in Byron traveling around and I, I kind of thought oh you know if you did this full time, you could be seriously so great. And we had that conversation, like I said, it was after a few beers, so who knows what she took out of it. But I remember thinking if she did this, she would be awesome. And so the fact that it's actually happened is kind of funny now, um, because I genuinely think she was like such a pleasure to work with and such a pro. And I was going to say, like, we get along really well, but I feel like she would get along with anyone and everyone. So she's just one of those people. So I'm actually looking forward to that show starting and people hearing her than more than two minute snippets in the weather, I feel like you almost don't get enough of her. So um, yeah, I reckon that she'll be really great.
0: Yeah, do you think PJ will be a big loss for the station? I mean, I don't know how closely you've paid attention to the radio, radio ratings since you left Hit in Perth, but it really, really felt like uh, she and Jace were had built a really loyal audience, and we were sort of starting to see that translate into a bit, a bit higher share over the last six months or so.
1: Yeah, well, she was great. Uh, She Like I've only, you know, we only crossed over for a few months, but um, we hung out a bunch and everyone loved her and was, it's sort of really mixed because you're so shattered that she's leaving. But when you know why, you're like so happy for her. It's such a a bittersweet feeling. And I think everyone went, oh, that sucks for us, but good for you. (laughs) And with the ratings, they were rating really well and, and hopefully we can hang on to that. But no, the reality of radio is, You have a few good books and you're like, oh, here we go. And then a few bad ones and you're like, oh, no. And then it comes up again. And that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. So they were getting a bit of momentum. Yep. But she's really happy where she is. I reckon this new show is going to be pretty bloody good as well. So, I mean, there's actually a fair bit of excitement at Kiss at the moment, especially given uh, as well as Lauren, there's uh, Nazim Hussain, Clinton, Stanaway and Christian Petrarca. has just like that's literally just happened. We've all just found out and we're pretty excited. So, um, I mean, we still all text PJ and tag her and stuff because she's funny. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) yeah, I reckon, like, the the culture and the fun times at KISS is uh, not going to change, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and... Obviously, as we mentioned there, your last full-time breakfast gig was over in Perth. at hit 92.9, a station yep. which, as it happens, no longer exists and has been no transformed yep. into a triple M station. Um, yeah. You were at SCA for, for eight years. That's a pretty decent stint. Uh, yeah. How do you look back on your time there?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, it's I've mean, really it, thought about it. You could break yeah, it into, different. You know, it's hard to say it's the same eight years like yeah my time in Bunbury versus my time in Canberra versus Perth like in my mind I don't see that as all SCA I see that as three different companies really um obviously people like Craig Bruce at the time and Nikki Ma kind of oversaw lots of them and I got along with them really well but they were really different experiences Bunbury was awesome like I met my wife there she was a winemaker so she was you know in the Margaret River region she's just sitting over across the room now shaking her head at me but um like we lived on the beach, worked with a great bunch of people, some of who are still my best friends. I met my wife there. I mean, you know, could you ask for anything more <laughs> for a, <laughs> a, a couple of years there? It was really great. Canva was excellent. Um, Tanya was, you know, one of the, the best and funniest media performers going around and, and we were really proud of of what we did there. And Perth was was breakfast metro radio, which was Anyone doing the regional rounds like me in Mildura and Bunbury, everyone just dreams of one day Metro, Metro. And then, you know, finally getting a chance to say yes. Like I always dreamed of doing Metro breakfast and now I've got the opportunity. So, um, yeah, that was awesome. So, um, but yeah, I I don't view it as SCA as a whole company. It's just a bunch of little stations on the journey, I guess.
0: Yeah. And when you did eventually, you know, crack the Metro radio gig, was it everything you thought it would be? Did
1: you? Do you nah. think you got <laughs> 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 No, nah, no way. Um, yeah, but I think that's the the danger of, like I said, I worked in Mildura, Musclebrook, Toowoomba. Like you just build it up. So like my expectations were so high. <laughs> it was it was hard to live up to. The reality is, is when you put the microphone on, it's just another microphone and another studio and you're doing the same thing really. Uh, there's a little bit more resources, which uh, is good, but it's also tricky because you've got m- more resources to manage. Whereas when you're on your own, you kind of just probably sleeps up and get on with it. So um, definitely pros and cons and, and glad I went and, Yeah, had a good time. But uh, my partner Bridget got a great job back here in Victoria. So that was sort of the, it was just about negotiating or navigating how I was going to move back over east. Uh, in <laughs> That's such a Western Australian thing to say, by the way, over east, <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, so it was just about navigating that, and sort of halfway through the year, we called it in, and yeah, followed Bridge over here for her job.
0: Yeah, and and just coming back to, I guess, cracking Metro Radio, I I sort of feel like the journey that you went on there was something that was a lot more common over the last couple of decades, and we've probably seen a bit less of it in the
1: last three. Well, it doesn't four exist years. anymore. There are it no longer d- regional breakfast shows with SCA. Yeah. Well, that's um, it. That's it. Yeah. I, well, I,
0: mean, I guess I mean more generally, you know, there are still regional shows and, you know, uh, programmers that I have spoken to over the last three or four years about talent will still say go and cut your teeth somewhere. Um, but, yeah, yeah, as I say, you know, you, you don't see that as much anymore. Is that to the detriment
1: of the industry, do you think? Is that too too intense a question? <laughs> I mean, don't make me responsible for answering that on behalf of the media industry. <laughs> um I would say though that a lot of people are naturally gifted when it comes to storytelling and just having a vibrant personality but that sort of isn't quite enough you still need to figure out how that works you know you know how to structure a story how to work with the team and how to it's great to have that one great story you always pull out at a barbecue but can you do that four times a day every day all year like for years and years on end like it is a real grind and I think like anything like I was saying going to the gym before the more you exercise that sort of muscle of storytelling and turning up every day the stronger you get but what I will say is that like going to regional is one way of doing it you can but you can do it at home now you go yeah I need to do a thousand hours to get good at this thing I can do that at home on a podcast I can do that on YouTube I don't have to go to Dubbo (laughs) for $38,000 a year and I think a lot of media students you know people who want to be personalities When you can earn a lot of money from your own bedroom at home, why would you move to a small town to earn not much and not have much help? It's sort of, I believe you do need to do your time, but you don't have to do it in the middle of nowhere anymore, which is, I actually think that's great for the industry because a a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to move to Dubbo, so I'll just be an accountant. (laughs) So I think it actually gives a lot more opportunities to some really talented people. So it's, yeah, pros and cons, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Perth radio market as well, uh, just in general, because we've obviously seen a massive amount of change there since the start of this year. Lots of heritage shows uh, changing around, people moving back and forth between networks, obviously the establishment of, of Triple M. What do you think about, I guess, what you know the move to create triple m there and move away from having that hit station and then and then also obviously moving mix over to the hit network do you have any sort of strong thoughts
1: on what's happened there um i don't know if this sounds like a real weird thing to say but when i left i kind of like wished everyone well and didn't pay that much attention to it and i guess uh the moves that the you know the ceos or the group content directors are you know, they kind of keep their cards close to their chests, so and I don't know the exact reasons why or why not they do anything. But one thing I do know from living in Perth is that Perth is a footy town. The Eagles, the Dockers, it is, they're really passionate about their footy. And when you think Triple M is so sports skewed, it made sense that some way, somehow Triple M would be there. And we would always chat. We didn't know if Mix was going to flip to Triple M. Uh, I think seeing that the Hit Network as a whole has sort of aged up a little bit I don't think Hit 92.9 could have aged up and been that much different to Mix, like they would have been the same station. So again, I'm not a, a group programmer, but it, it's sort of on a top level makes sense. And I guess the fact that Hit 92.9 just really sort of struggled to connect with an audience and made the decision pretty easier, probably. <laughs> but again, I, I had long gone before that decision was made. So not sure what was said internally, but externally, I, I kind of get it, I suppose. But, yeah, it's weird to see everyone just changing stations. Like, I know, was it Clairsey moved over to 96? Yeah, yeah. Fred was at Mix when I started, I think, and then he moved over. And, um, I mean, if there's one consistent thing in radio is that there's always change. <laughs> the consistent thing is that everything's not that consistent. And every time you think, oh, it's going to be set in its ways for another 10 years, it completely changes. Like, I saw Marty go to Triple M last year and I was like, who saw that coming? And now it's just, that's just what it is. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, I'll just keep rotating seats in Perth forever. It'll probably be the same 10 people on Breakfast Radio <laughs> there in 10 years, just in different spots, I guess.
0: Yeah. Just before we move on from Perth, um, obviously with the hit network stations in Metro Capital cities across the rest of Australia, it's very different from the Triple M audience Did you feel when you were in Perth that you were competing a bit too heavily with Mix for the same sorts of audience or not
1: really? I don't remember any conversations about audience. (laughs) We just turned up and did the show, Uh, which might be the reason why it doesn't exist anymore. I don't don't know. Um, But, yeah, like it wasn't a concern for us or that concern wasn't shared with us. I really, we were really kept out of that stuff. Like I said, the people above were probably chatting about it, but they never really shared much of that with us.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And you mentioned also your time in Canberra uh, with Tanya Hennessy, a bit of a yep. larger than life personality. Um, what What was it like working with her?
1: Yeah, she's a legend. Um, I mean, one of the, the great, funny broadcast talents going around. She's awesome. Um, every day, you, like it seems so cliche to be like, when you turn up, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, everyone says that, but it was genuinely one of those occurrences. And I think when we got there, we replaced a heritage show that had just been sacked and they were much loved, so it was brutal. <laughs> so half the job is making our show and half the job was trying to take care of each other and navigate that situation. But like I said before, we were really proud of what we did and I still get people now, like we only did the show for under two years and I still get people DMing me going, oh, I remember you from Canberra and sometimes if she's on the money... I'll interview someone that's from Canberra and they're like, oh, my God, is this Ryan from from here? And I'm like, yeah. And they go, oh, my God, I used to listen to you all the time. So the, the two years we did there really stuck. Like people really got invested in what we were doing. Uh, Tan had some some big moments online and really came into our own there. Um, myself, I did a few story arcs that really connected with people and like we left a, a pretty nice mark <laughs> uh, on the town. And so, like I said, we're really proud of, of that one. Yeah, and
0: and people I've spoken to uh, about broadcasting in Canberra sort of have said things like it's kind of like a metro market, but then in other ways it's really not at all. Um, <laughs> how 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 do you see that comparison, and and and
1: how would you describe it? Um. Well, again, at the time I'd never been in a metro market, so I I don't know what to compare to, and I think we have less resources than a metro market but sometimes that works in your favor it forces you to be creative and go oh okay well we don't have a huge budget we don't have heaps of people how can we bring this thing to life on the cheap or how can we just go and do it ourselves because sometimes when you've got a meeting of a whole bunch of people and you're brainstorming and then that person has to approve it after they check with like sometimes it's easier just to have a small team and just do it and one of the great things about tan is you know she would just make videos and edit them on her phone um i've made a lot of podcasts and edit a lot of audio. So if I want to go do a vox pop, I can just record it, edit it and play it out. I don't have to wait for someone else to help. So I don't think like if people are in a, if people are in a smaller market and don't have much help, I mean, there are actually benefits to that. And because there aren't the rating pressures in Canberra, because there wasn't as strong a competition, you can take a risk and try some stuff. And if you don't try anything, you won't find anything new. So is actually a really good space, and we were really well supported by our PD, who often goes, "Oh, I'm not sure, but if if you reckon it's going to work, I'll back it in." and go, "Okay," um, and there are a few flops, but I mean, the th- great things we did outweighed the flops. And if you don't go for it, you never do any of it. So, um, I mean, I really enjoyed my time in Canberra and really proud of it. And Perth was was great, but I, I I look back at the Ryan and Tanya shows like that sticks in my mind a bit more.
0: And since you've left left SCA entirely, you've as we've spoken about, sort of become someone that, that makes a lot of content across a lot of different channels and, and you know, your income comes from X, Y, and Z and this and that. But was it really difficult, um, you know, making the decision to to leave that, you know, guaranteed income there in Perth? Obviously, you were making the decision for personal reasons. Yeah. Um, but oh, no, definitely-, definitely.
1: Yeah, really hard um, because... When you are a freelance or, you know, your own little production company, you are also the sales team. <laughs> it's quite nice. Uh, as much as you work with sales and work on branded content, you don't have to go, oh, if we don't make this sale, I don't know where my money's coming from next month. <laughs> like, it is nice having a job and being employed. And it's, while it's all good to be like, hustle, do your own thing. Like, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that having a, a well-paying job that just comes into your bank account on the 15th of each month is really nice. So that was definitely a factor. Um, and, yeah, like it was a very interesting time because it's – that made it a very hard decision, especially because I worked so hard to get there. And I'm like, I'm just going to just gonna throw this away. What an idiot. <laughs> but um, I think having the multiple revenue streams, even if some of them aren't that big, just having a bunch of different ones that all trickle in and add up, it certainly takes the pressure off all of them. And now um, – not that any of them like I'm. I don't. I'm not a rich person, but and none of my revenue streams are like massive. But the fact that I've got a couple of different ones really just takes the pressure off and allows you to have a bit more freedom and go. Oh, if that one doesn't work out, that's all good because this is going great over here, and it really does help you sleep at night. <laughs> Having a, you know, you not all your eggs in one basket, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I guess one of those eggs uh, you've mentioned already, uh, the she's on the money podcast. Yeah, um, can you sort of go back to when that started? tell us a bit about its inception and, and and where it's come to now to be, you know, quite a successful podcast.
1: Yeah. So it was started by Victoria Devine, who's a financial advisor. It actually started as a Facebook group because she wanted to have a group where her clients could like ask questions and share ideas and what budgeting hacks are you using? Um, and that sort of got a bit of momentum and V was like, oh, you know, I should expand on this and she was not quite up to doing YouTube because being on camera like for many people is terrifying me included um, so she thought a podcast was a was a happy medium and she was friends with the shameless girl so they encouraged her and helped her with season one and then I came on board in season two and yeah it's it's grown a lot so from the time I started it was once a week and now there's five episodes a week across three different brands so I don't do as much on She's on the Money now. I just do one episode. I'm focusing on the business Bible, which is sort of the, what do we call it? The small business side hustling sister of She's on the Money. And we've also got the property playbook as well. And which I mean, every time is a crazy time in property, but I feel like now people are trying to buy their first homes and the price goes up a thousand dollars a day or something ridiculous in Melbourne and Sydney. So it's definitely grown a lot. And um, yeah, I'm interested to to see how it all pans out. Like I said, I spend more of my time now on the business Bible, but uh, v and i met probably 18 months ago and like i said since then it's it's grown a lot into it surprises some people how well it does there's still a lot of oh podcasts that little that little hobby and um it, it's funny that a podcast can earn more than entire radio stations often so
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned, you know, podcasts can do very well financially. Um, How has that monetized the the ones you're working on right now?
1: Yeah, so the business Bible, literally last week, we started a partnership with MYOB, the accounting software, and that's going to be for six months. So it's not just like a few ads, it's like a six-month partnership where we're providing social media, you know, they'll be mentioned in our newsletter as well as mentions and a few of their experts are actually going to be guests on the show as well because they have like an in-house team of you know an economist and a psychologist and, and some interesting people and a lot of big brands actually do now have these I don't know if they're always employees or they're just on the books but almost like those spokesperson and experts and I'm liking that area where you can speak to someone really interesting not just the sales guy who's trying to spruik the product where they can actually have a genuine conversation so We've teamed up with MIOB. we just did some work with Microsoft and NAB was a partner at the start of it as well. And I think the ability, kind of like I was saying before for myself in that we don't rely just on one income. It's like the fact we can do some social media stuff, some podcast mentions, uh, we're doing a, a short course as well to help in some areas where our community you know, people keep asking for this topic, this topic, oh, we want to know more, we want to know more. So that's going to become a short course. So all of a sudden you've got three or four different income streams and like I said, they keep trickling away and, and it does really well. So the fact that people like Microsoft and, and MYOB can trust us. If someone told me I was going to work with Microsoft a few years ago for like, you know, a little podcast on the side, I that would have done my head in and it sort of still does. But um, I think bigger brands are seeing the value of, you know, some, community-based podcast where you know they have a, a loyal audience and Facebook groups where people are talking to one another and being able to put the brand inside that conversation rather than just sticking an ad places and hoping it sticks to someone <laughs> uh, being able to target a very specific audience especially with the business bible every listener runs their own small business in terms of a target audience you're not wasting <laughs> any money because everyone that hears it is a potential customer so um, yeah that's working out pretty well.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess one of the things that you know, since I joined Mumbrella last year, that has I guess really helped me understand podcasting a bit better, and and that commercial side of it is you know uh, chatting with people from ACast, and I guess also the three major networks, and and you know seeing all these studies that are done by media agencies like Initiative to see how you know that really targeted advertising can be can be really effective and can cut through. Um, that sort of leads me on to my next point is that you know I, it really feels like since the start of this year, we've seen the three major radio networks really doubling down on their content slates for podcasting. It seems like, you know, it was a bit like that the last two years, but since the start of the year, it feels like all of them are announcing a new podcast every single week.
1: Yeah, it does Um, feel like when you're on the media websites, it's like, oh, new podcast coming out. Like, sweet. And even um, I've got a new one coming out soon and the Business Bible only launched a few months ago. And I, I had that thought in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh. Am I just another white guy bringing out a podcast? Am I doing this? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of them out there, but that's where I you know, the power in the niches and, and trying to be creative and come up with something a bit different. That's the challenge. There's there's room for everyone. It's just a matter of, you know, what's your point of difference and what do you actually have to offer an audience? I'm sure you think you're interesting, but but does an audience think you're interesting? I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And do you think we're how like how far away do you think we are from from the revenue really catching up with the investment that these big networks are making into podcasting.
1: Um, it really depends on their ability to, you know, monetize and, and figure it out. Because when you, if you use the same old sales systems of oh, we because broadcasting by definition is broad and you're going for a wide appeal and hoping something sticks. Where I think in podcast you've really got the ability to hit a target audience. So it's sort of two different sales models, I guess. I mean, I've never worked in in sales and, and don't know how to structure a whole sales team, but. There are some advertisers, not that they would approach us, but like if someone was selling something that's not business related, that we'd be like, oh, maybe this isn't worth it for you (laughs) Um, because it's not just like we just have generic brands who are just doing a scattergun approach. I think it's really for not even specific brands. Sometimes it's a specific campaign. Like we've worked with HubSpot and they said, oh, our main product is this, but we're actually doing a push for this other specific thing at the moment and that specific thing fits well with the business Bible. And we go, okay, great, we can actually help there because our audiences into the same thing so that's probably a bit harder to do at scale because to have this huge company that is also in the niches it's sort of a bit contradictory obviously they're the experts in that and they'll have to figure that out <laughs> but i know for us being small and nimble and not having a sales department of 40 people actually makes it easier for us to you know not get million dollar deals but to still do pretty well and not have to divide it up by 300 employees so in terms of the big networks i'm i'm not sure <laughs> is is the answer but what i actually what i do know is that when those reports come out and say oh deloitte did a study and this is how much money was in podcasting they're so far from being accurate because most of our deals the brand comes to us we take their money they get a really great result and it doesn't go through the hands of agencies and so when they do a study of agencies like a thing came out saying "Oh, podcast is worth this much a month and i was like our tiny company did that (laughs) i'm sure the whole industry did more than, than that together so um I mean, the measurement probably needs to keep up with the uh, with the, the buying as much as anything else.
0: Yeah, so sp- speaking of measurement, um, I do recall that you went on one of my favourite podcasts last year, uh, The Daily Talk Show with Josh Jansen and Tommy James Yes. They're absolute yes. legends. Um, yep. When you were on there, you guys were speaking about issues with – um, the re- at that time, the recently sort of oh, released the podcast That's ranker, the Australian podcast ranker. S- some of the stuff you guys talked about was about, you know, the way it was measured. And, and you know, there was, a, there was a bit of controversy, I guess, around the industry, especially at the start when it didn't have that many titles and, and things like radio catch up podcasts were dominating. That hasn't really changed, though there has been the addition of a lot more publishers and that stuff over the last 18 months. Um, Do you think that the ranker has improved in terms of the picture it gives of a snapshot of of the Australian podcasting market?
1: Um, Well, there's a lot of huge podcasts that are not on that list. So what kind of grinded my gears (laughs) was people saying, we're the seventh biggest podcast and then it's like asterisk oh, of the one we counted. You know, we're the seventh biggest when you take out the other 50. Like for me, that was just a bit rich. <laughs> um, but I guess you got to start somewhere. But the fact that I guess Mamma Mia, even just independents like Shameless and stuff like that weren't on it, it. It was just a bit rich for people to be boasting about how they were at the top when not everyone was being included. So I think that's a bit tricky. And then I'm not sure how the big companies sell. Like I said, I'm not on the sales side of those ones. But I know for us, We've never had someone come to us and go, oh, I saw you on the podcast, Ranker. How much are your rates? <laughs> like, it just doesn't happen like that. So I know there's merit in having big rankings and radio loves to have ratings and rank things and have them in order. But uh, for us, just being respected in your area is so much more valuable than you know having a big number on a list that no one outside the industry probably knows exists, I guess. Although now that we've got a few at the top, I will say it's the most important thing ever. <laughs> but no, I think, I think until you include everyone, um, yeah, I don't know. There's always going to be a bit of an asterisk, I guess. And just moving on
0: from podcasting, you're obviously an online content creator too. Um, some sizable followings, some videos that you know have really cracked it into sort of viral territory um you got started doing that whilst you were still over in Perth is, is that right and, and I guess how did you get into it
1: oh it was probably before then I, I started my own Facebook page when I was in a tiny little town um in Mildura or Toowoomba or something and it's I don't mean this in a bad way but it was it was sort of I did some content that probably didn't fit on the station site maybe it was a bit more edgy a bit more risky and I know in Canberra I used to go out to nightclubs at like 2 or 3 in the morning and interview people out the front of clubs when they'd obviously had a few beers and, you know, some risque topics and a few of those took off and went viral and as you can imagine, a station was a bit hesitant about, oh, you know, they've clearly had a few beers and we, we just don't know. If... And I said, hey, happy to put it on mine and for you guys to, you know, remove yourself from it. Um, but they really took off and it's funny when they say, oh, it's not for us then it takes off, then they're pretty quick to go, oh, actually, you know, maybe we'll have a slice of that action. Um, so that's sort of how it started and similar to what we spoke about before I think just having that extension you can't just expect people to flick around the radio and find you a lot of listeners from a lot of listeners of the Ryan and Tanya show in Canberra found us through Tanya's videos and my videos obviously Tanya a huge online following so I won't say it was like 50-50 she definitely did a really great job but that's how people found us and that's how we became really successful so i don't see it as an extra i just see it as part of the job and i guess the the good thing about socials is that you know you can take it with you like when you do a really good job in canberra you move to perth and you start with zero again um no one knows you but if you've got your own instagram and your own online following like they follow you wherever you go and and thank god for that because when i had a bit of time out of radio like i said before i could have been you know big income to zero but and not that I wasn't nervous about it, but it's actually looking back, it's I'm kind of proud that oh yeah, I had a year without a job and it was actually totally fine. <laughs> um, because I've got a you know, this social following and brands are interested in content that's a bit more natural and a bit more real. So that suited me really well. And I still do little bits and pieces when I've got time. So um I mean, if you want to be a talent or just in the media creation business, you don't need to wait for someone else to give you permission. Just start doing it. Just start doing it and you can make a career for yourself. So I mean, not that it's like a plan B. I just think it's part of the the whole package of everything I do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, the biggest video um, was uh, the video where you had you know gone in search of 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 your birth uh, father. And it was birth mother originally? <laughs>
1: sorry, but uh, yeah. <laughs> when, no, but well, the, the mix-up is easy because it started as my birth mother. I did an yeah. ancestry DNA test to find her. Couldn't find her, but found my birth father by accident. So it's been a, a wild couple of years just from, like you said, starting with that one video that literally changed my life.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I've watched all of it and 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 that sort of thing. Obviously, that's helped with your brand in terms of the, the social media side of things, helped with the following and that sort of thing. Oh, I would say it's good
1: and bad. It's not necessarily a help. It's just like there are... Do you get people
0: recognising you from that still?
1: Yeah, uh, although sometimes... Now, if I'm doing a, a video and it, it gets a bit of attention, you'll get this random like, oh, you're that guy from that adoption video. <laughs> so, um, and they kind of don't realize it's the same person. And I actually spoke uh, in Perth about being adopted and someone said, oh, I've been listening to Heidi, Xavier Ryan for three months. And I didn't realize this Ryan is the same Ryan. F- like I I actually know lots about you and it didn't, people don't always click it's the same person. Um, and why, why I say there's pros and cons is because Whilst like the support and everything I got from that was unbelievable, it it is, I don't want to be the adopted guy. That's like not my personal brand. And sometimes it's strange. It'll be the weirdest video and someone will, you know, it's a bit slapstick and silly. It's just an Instagram reel or a TikTok and someone will be like, oh, hey, mate, did you find your mum? And you're like, oh, I actually just made a video about dumb things drunk people said, and it just feels really awkward to then reply to that comment like, oh, no, actually, I still haven't found my birth mother. Thank you for your support and sympathy. (laughs) So it is a bit random. And especially my Facebook page, the majority of the couple of hundred thousand people there are from the US and are just these, you know, beautiful family story, enjoying mums in their forties that are just like, good on you, Ryan, hope you find your family. (laughs) And don't necessarily have an interest in my new podcast about, finances in australia <laughs> so um like i said it it's sort of it's weird in that you, you can have different audiences for the same people so it's it's it is strange
0: yeah blessing and a curse i guess yeah um another part of what you've done obviously is is you know work on creative and and work on social media campaigns and branded content for for a lot of brands yep. um can you sort of talk us through getting started with that and and you know what what's some of the stuff that you've done there that that you, you've been really proud
1: of that, that you've done? Um, well, I think that's just the, the natural extension of when you start making content that is resonating with people. Brands don't really want to be seen as this big corporate entity that just like talks down to the people. So, I mean, people that listen to Mumbrella umbrella don't need to be <laughs> told about, you know, the benefit of sort of branded content and things being a bit more authentic and real and, and connecting with an audience. So, as your audience starts to grow, you start to get a few emails and DMs and, and stuff like that and, oh, can you work with us on this? Do you want to come and help us with that? So after a while and especially when I was in Perth realizing that, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to leave soon, I can't just leave with nothing, I need to sort of get this ramped up. So I started working with, uh, strangely, a lot of alcohol brands were the first ones. Uh, Tanqueray was one of the big first clients I did now. I've just done some work with Kraken, Jimmy Brings, um, I also get a lot of uh, which my wife gets annoyed by because I my brand isn't necessarily like being a beard guy, but every week I get approached by a different uh, shaving company or beard oil. <laughs> and when I say brand, like my fans aren't like beard enthusiasts. That's they follow me. So I don't know if they're getting much conversion if they're like, oh, you know, Ryan's got a beard. So obviously, everyone who follows him into beards, I'm like, well, if I promote your beard oil, um, my audience on. Instagram is 82% female so you know you might not actually be targeting targeting the right people and even being able to have conversations like that with brands they actually respect it because they want results they're not just there to fluff your ego they're there they want something out of their campaign and when you can actually have those conversations and help them with their campaign that's how you keep getting work to go when we work with him he knows the people we're trying to target he knows the message we're trying to get across he can be part of that conversation because I know a lot of content creators and influencers are, are very, um, you know, proud of their work, which is which is great, but they're also very inflexible and unwilling to work with the brand. It's more like, no, I've got a following and I take your money and you get what you get and hopefully it works for you. Like those people don't last in the biz, they don't get return c- clients. Um, so I think just being able to have those conversations, figuring out, oh, what are you guys actually trying to achieve and how can I fit something into that? Um, that's worked really well and I think people enjoy Having something that doesn't look like it's done by a TV production company. I think brands missed the memo when they went, oh, we'll just stick our TV out on Facebook and sell some cars. (laughs) I think people have worked out that doesn't really work. So, um, I mean, it's a fun, exciting time to be a content creator and brands are looking for ideas. So um, it's a good place to be and it's handy to have some basic skills that I can whip up a video or do some audio and stuff. So, yeah, that's real fun.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if there's any uh any any beer oil, uh beard oil related brands reaching out to you, you can always send them my way. Out. you know,
1: this lockdown beard needs some I was oil. Say, so going you've got you're looking good there with the, the beard. I'll send them your way. You can be a beard fluencer in no time. <laughs> the beard fluencer. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if I've heard that word before. Um, did you just make that up? Maybe. If I did, I'm claiming it. Or if I'm st- maybe I've stolen it. I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting space. And I think just being aware of what your audience is into. Um, like I said, I'm, I don't have a really blokey audience. So I don't do blokey stuff because that's not who's going to watch it. So um, my brands are usually like family friendly or sort of, li- I wouldn't say lifestyle because lifestyle claims that like I'm spruking tanning oil and slimming teeth. <laughs> but just, I guess, everyday life products, like I did some stuff with binge, um, food, drinks, that kind of stuff, they're always fun because that's stuff I actually use in day-to-day life. So,
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you um, what marketers and brands are doing wrong with their social and influencer strategies at the moment, but you've sort of already answered that. Do you want to have anything else to, to add on to that?
1: Um, I think just being very aware of what you're trying to achieve when you're using an influencer or a content creator. Because there's obviously that big question, which is very relevant and justified of saying, well, what's the return on investment? And I think brands, which they do, need to decide, you know, is this a brand awareness campaign or is this a conversion campaign or is this a we're rebranding and we're trying to adjust our image and we're using our influencer to do that or we're trying to reach a younger market. So we're going to use these younger influencers to reach the younger people. I think just going, oh, we hired this person and we expect sales. I mean, it's not as simple as that. So if you're just trying to, I think just being really clear on what you're trying to achieve, then hiring the right content creator and the right influencer for that specific target, and then having that conversation with them. Hey, we've got a campaign. Here's actually what we're trying to do. What can you do that fits in with that? Having that five-minute conversation can be the difference between a brand wasting their money or getting a really great result where everyone's teamed up together. It sounds cliche, but Like I said, for a five minute conversation about marketing, which is your job, (laughs) it's a really valuable thing to do. So I think just being really clear on, on what you're trying to achieve and then just accepting that what you're not trying to achieve with this campaign, maybe, you know, an actual sale versus brand awareness is not the same campaign. So you can't expect one piece of content to cover multiple things that you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, fair play. And just before we wrap up, um, sort of wanted to loop back to the start. Would you ever consider doing breakfast radio full time again if the opportunity came up?
1: Um, I th- I definitely consider it purely because that's all I've wanted to do. And now that I'm back in my hometown, of- hometown of Melbourne, it would almost be like I went off on this crazy journey around the country, and I finally made it back home and did it. But I don't know if I'd leave. Mel- like I'm pretty happy in Melbourne. All my friends and family are here. Um. I was going to say probably not, but one thing that irks me... Is people who would say they'd never do breakfast radio and it's like, well, no one's offering you a breakfast radio job. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so smug to be like, well, I'd never do it. And And then I'll I'll
0: I'll publish this with the headline, Ryan, John, I'll never do breakfast radio again.
1: Yeah. And it's like, well, guess what, Ryan? No one's offering it to you. So you're not really having a choice at the moment. So I'm very aware that I don't have that decision to make at the moment. (laughs) Uh, Maybe one day I will. But what I will say is that I'm actually really loving what I'm doing now. And when you do breakfast radio, it's like you're all in. Your name's on a billboard and buses. That's your whole life. You're up so early. You spend the afternoon thinking about ideas and getting nervous about tomorrow's show. Like it really is all in. And as much as I do my best and try really hard uh, with Kiss Now, you know, when I finish my shift, I have the mental capacity to go and think about a podcast or to go and do something else or to make a quick little video. And I like doing all of it. <laughs> I feel like if I got up at 4 a.m., and invested so much time and energy into this show by the time you get home you're stuffed and you're thinking about tomorrow and I wouldn't have the time to do the branded stuff I wouldn't have time to do the podcast I'm also doing an MBA at Melbourne Business School because I that's what I do apparently <laughs> so as you, you weren't doing imagine, enough I wasn't doing enough apparently um but like I said if I did breakfast again I'd have to sacrifice a few other things and I'm already sort of at capacity and trying to pull back a little bit so I'm enjoying being able to have the time and energy to do multiple things. I'm actually really happy at the moment. So I don't know. Is that a roundabout answer of saying probably not? I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
0: Or maybe we'll leave it as as a watch this space.
1: Um, watch this space. Well, like I said, I'm not being offered one, so it's not my decision to make.
0: Well, we'll see what the future holds. Uh, Ryan, John, thank you so much for joining me on the Mumbrella cast today.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: And that was Ryan John, KISS 101.1 Morning's host. Stay tuned this Thursday for our next Mumbrella Cast as the team breaks down the week in media and marketing and where the radio theme will continue as I chat with Nine Radio's Managing Director, Tom Malone. Remember as well to subscribe to the Mumbrella Cast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest episodes, twice weekly, straight to your feed. I'm Xander Wilson. Thanks for listening.